You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, I do want to continue, uh, finish up what it is we started, but figured we should probably touch on some of the news and notes that has come out recently. First of all, lots and lots of firings going on. Uh, The Commanders did fire Ron Rivera. The Falcons fired Arthur Smith. Uh, Panthers fired General Manager Scott Fitterer. Bears are keeping Matt Eberflus. Patriots, not sure exactly, but the Titans moved on from Mike Vrabel. First of all, While I don't know anything definitively, the odds that Mike Vrabel is going to be getting a defensive coordinator job are relatively low, even if you slap a fancy title onto it and pay as high as you possibly can for it. um, Odds are he will be getting a head coaching job. So unless you want Matt LaFleur replaced, which I'm sure some of you do, but I'm still not going to have that conversation because it's not going to happen, then it's not super relevant. But lots of shakeup, and as I said, with lots of shakeup comes... Lots of shakeup. So when these head coaches get fired, a lot of their the people under them get fired um, or moved on from, you know, the, the new head coach will come in, they'll hire a new staff, which makes a lot of people available. So it'll be interesting to see the uh, the fallout from all this and what happens. Obviously, the Packers are still in uh, playoff mode. They're not really looking for new coordinators or anything right now. But if and when the time comes, it'll be interesting to take a look at uh, some of the people that are out there. Then you've got the Aaron Rodgers, um, uh, Pat McAfee thing. Um, I didn't watch all of it. I, I watched as long as I could and then just kind of went on to do other stuff. It's hard to, you know, I don't know. I, I can't multitask, so it's hard to focus on that when I'm doing other stuff. But only two takeaways I had. First of all, um, I usually, I feel like I kind of pride myself on being very careful as far as... Um, not overreacting and, and being like, you know, I've been trying to think of the way to phrase it, but really listening closely to what people say. And I didn't do that with Aaron Rodgers. I just kind of jumped in with two feet and essentially accused him of, you know, doing what everybody else said he did. And, and then when he went back and played the quote, it was like, oh, that actually makes a lot more sense. But long story short, Aaron Rodgers never implied that um, Jimmy Kimmel was on any kind of list. And I think all of us, myself included, just kind of jumped in with two feet on that one. All of that aside, which was the vast majority of the start of the program, the one thing he said that um, I really liked, I mean, obviously they asked him about Jordan Love again, and he went in on it. It's funny that they start with that. It's like they don't start with the Jets. They start with Jordan Love and the Packers and everything. You'd think he's a Jet. Why don't you talk about the Jets? They probably did at some point, but I'm not complaining. He had some complimentary things to say, as always, talked about Jordan Love silencing the doubters and was wondering if maybe the the doubting was kind of a motivating factor or whatever. 
but then went on to say, and I don't even remember the context of it, but had made the comment, the winning happens Monday through Saturday. And I'm sure he said that a thousand times, but just in the context of what I've been talking about in terms of really noticing the work and the progress that has taken place. And yes, I mean, the coaches, of course, deserve some credit, but I think an underrated aspect of player growth is the player, right? I mean, you you can have a really good teacher, and if you're not studying, and if you're not doing the homework, and if you're not applying yourself, and also, I mean, using that teacher as a resource, you can meet with the teacher after school, you can email the teacher, you can do all these things and ask questions in class and everything else. Are you utilizing everything to the fullest potential. And I think, I think we've all learned that that is a massive, massively underrated aspect because we're seeing a, a team that, you know, the wide receivers that have come in here have not been massively successful, at least as far as some of the later round. You know, I mean, I, I, I guess you could call MVS a success and Lazard a success. I mean, all things considered, I suppose. But I don't think this surge of... You know, and, and again, I, I appreciate Brian Gutekunst. You did find the right guys. You have to have guys that can at least get to this point. But I don't think it's a coincidence that suddenly everybody's just fantastic. And you could you, we could say it's the wide receiver coach or whatever if we want, but it's the same wide receiver coach we've had for kind of a long time. I think the difference is the culture. The difference is we have a, a young group of guys that are all working together and growing together and are, are putting in the work. I got nothing wrong with unwinding and playing a video game once in a while, but I mean, I think that there are some football players that they go in, they do the bare minimum, they go home and they watch TV or they go out and party and or whatever. And, you know, do whatever you want to do. But if you want to be the greatest in the world, it's going to require a little bit more. That may shock you to find out. But it, it just as soon as he said it, it just immediately rung a bell that that he's right. And, and that's what the Packers are doing. He said, that's what it takes to win or, or the winner of the game is the game is won Monday through Saturday. So it's the it's the people that do the best work in that time. Why are the Packers winning? Because they're the ones putting in that work and think how much more work you have to do compared to a team that's been doing this for years. I mean, a lot of these teams, they've been, even the Bears, I mean, Justin Fields has been with these guys for multiple years. Anyways, I feel like we've all stated that case already, but it's just uh, it's just impressive what they've been able to do. Why don't we? Continue what we were doing yesterday. Let's go through the defense. Uh, yesterday, if you're not aware, um, my goal essentially was to try to give a snapshot of what everybody's been doing this year because I don't think anybody, really, myself included, has a very good snapshot of what these guys have done. We have a picture in our mind of what we think they've done, but I don't know if any of us really know what the full picture is. So maybe this is more beneficial for people like me who don't have very good memories, but. I think all of us could use a little, at least, refresher. And we'll do the same thing again because, I don't know, maybe a couple of you enjoyed it. Um, I want to start from the bottom. There's 33 defensive players, but a lot of these guys really didn't play. I think PFF sometimes messes up and puts a special teams thing on defense. I could be wrong, but I'm seeing, you know, like Robert Rochelle, Zane Anderson, Christian Welch all right next to each other. And I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe, who knows, who cares? They're all one-snap 60s. But um, I'll give you the opportunity to guess. Take a wild guess, it's actually a little sad, who our lowest graded out of 33 defensive players is. By the way, if we're being very strict with 70, only three good defensive players this year. Three. But we'll start at the bottom. Uh, the lowest graded defender, rookie Anthony Johnson. Um, there was a lot of hype about Anthony Johnson, especially, you know, again, the fact that 
he's an instant plug-and-play starter. That's what a lot of people told me, and I don't think that that's exactly how that panned out. Anthony Johnson did have uh, one positive grade. Unfortunately, that was against Minnesota. He only played two snaps. In the games in which he actually played a decent amount, he played Week 9 against LA, 64 grade, 41 run defense, 27 tackling grade, but a 70 coverage grade. And then Weeks 11 and 12 he played. Week 11, 62 grade. Week 12, 42. And then Week 16 he played and had a 40 PFF grade. So overall right now, 45.6 grade, 37 run defense grade, 29 uh, tackling grade, 52 coverage grade. He has missed 28% of his tackle attempts. He's been targeted six times. Five of those were caught for 60 yards. He didn't give up any touchdowns, did have one pick and one pass breakup. Um, But definitely not exactly the best start that you would expect. But although, you know, safeties in Green Bay seem to be a thing. The next lowest graded, um, a lot of these guys really have not played very much. Eric Stokes would be another one. Um, He only played in two games, but it was weeks 15 and 16. In those games, good Lord. In those games, he had a uh, 47 PFF grade against Tampa and then a 58 uh, against Carolina, and then he went out again. And I know there's a lot of frustration because it's like, you know, he had a 53 grade last year, which wasn't good, a 51 this year. Like, it's done, it's it's over, it's cooked. Um, He wasn't great as a rookie, but... it just depends how you want to look at it. I mean, I the way that I have been looking at it is 2021 wasn't great. It wasn't bad. And I think most of us agreed on that at the time. 2022 came around and, um, you know, uh, he did play about a half a year. So it's not like he didn't play at all. And it didn't turn out super great. But, it, but again, the one note on Eric Stokes is he had a really bad four-game stretch. And it was in that stretch that a lot of bad stuff happened. And I don't know exactly why. It was uh, the stretch against New England, against the Giants, the Jets, and Washington. And then he kind of pulled out of that against both uh, Buffalo and Detroit. He also had a really good game before that against Tampa. Actually, if you just look at coverage grade, he had a really good game the week before that also against Chicago. So it's kind of an iffy thing, plus he got injured. Um, and then this year, it's like he's out all year. No training camp, no anything comes in cold week 15 yeah he had a a bad coverage grade four targets four receptions 67 yards and a touchdown 158.3 passer rating that sucks week 16 pretty big improvement but still you know about average i guess uh 58 grade 55 coverage and then he's out again so i don't know i uh it's hard to judge him on this year you can kind of judge him on last year it's hard to look at this massive body of work and not see anything over three years and say that you can't conclude anything. But at the same time, kind of. Like, he had a decent rookie year. I said what I said about 2022. and 2023, I mean, this is just throw it in the garbage. It doesn't mean anything. But, I mean, we're going into year four. We can't not have an answer after year four. Like, next year, he has to play and play well. You're not getting a fifth-year option <laughs> if you can't perform or stay healthy. So I'm, I'm fine saying about Eric Stokes that he's still a big question mark and that we don't have enough information on him and that I still have some relative, um, I don't want to say necessarily even high hopes, but I, I have hopes that he can be a good football player. Not like urgently we need to replace the guy kind of a thing, you know? Um, but we got to see it. We got to see it in 2024 or or we're going to have to start 
you know, making some decisions. And the Packers may do that anyways. We might take a swing at a corner in round one this next year, round two or whatever, and uh, start moving in that direction. Because again, this is going to be year four for Eric Stokes. Um, coming in 31st is Innis Gaines. Don't really need to dig into that too much. Only played six snaps. 30th is our boy Carrington Valentine. I don't want to dog Carrington Valentine. I'm happy with what he did. Um, coming in as a seventh round pick and really showing through in some, some big games. But I just want to be very clear. The, the whole crowd of, you know, we're such a better team with Carrington Valentine. He's so much better than Jair Alexander. Let me just skip ahead a little bit. Jair was our sixth best player. Carrington Valentine was our 30th best player. And Jair had a very big down year this year due to injury. So can we stop the bull crap about Carrington Valentine being better than Jair? Because he's absolutely not. Um, the seventh round pick out of Kentucky really just had, well, we can call it, if we're going to be nice or, or generous, three good games. Week one against Chicago, 68.8. Week nine against LA is when he had his really big game, 85 grade. And then week 12, he had a 70 PFF grade. Everything else was, well, 60, 50, 50, 40. 50, 60, 60, 60, 30, 60, 50, 50. So he's been a, a down a pretty bad stretch. His really good stretch came basically from weeks 9 through 14. It was the 85, and then there was a 70 and a couple mid-60s mixed in. Like, he was doing pretty decent. But it's been 30, 60, 50, 50 the last four weeks. And then prior to his week 9 game, it was 40, 50, 50, 60. You know, so it's just, there was a mid-stretch where he was pretty decent, but it's just, it's not great. And again, I'm not mad at him. For for what it is, a seventh-round rookie, I thought he filled in valiantly. But he's not hes not a premier corner. He's not the future at corner. He's not better than Jair. I don't want him in over Stokes in a, you know, in 2024, when it, assuming Stokes is healthy. I don't want to hear Carrington over Stokes or any of that nonsense. I just don't. <laughs> then coming in 28th, again, not very many snaps, but, but uh, Brenton Cox Jr. played in uh, three games, just five snaps. Colby Wooden comes in 28th. Um, again, I kind of talked about Wooden and Brooks. Wooden is um, the guy that I actually prefer, but the problem is when you're consistently average, kind of in the low 70s, and then you got some really bad games mixed in, your overall grade's going to be down. It's only about a 58, which isn't bad. But, I mean, his grades really aren't that bad aside from those three terrible games. It's basically 70, 30, 50, 70, 60, 60, 70, 80, 20, 60, 50, 60, 70, 20, high 60s, 70, 70. So, I mean, all of his games have been kind of decent, and then there's three games mixed in. I mean, his worst game outside of those three was like a 56, which is right at average. And he's got some mid to high 70s mixed in. And again, if, if and you can't do it, but if you just remove those three bad games, I mean, he's been pretty solid. I would guess, aside from those three games, um, he's been one of our better and more reliable run defenders. So I'm optimistic about Colby Wooden. I'm all about that consistency. Because the point is, you, you look at overall, and that's great. But look at, for example, what was I talking about yesterday? Um, Razul Douglas. Oh, he's got like an 80 PFF grade. Bro, He he's, for Buffalo, he has like an 83 PFF grade or something. He's had like two good games. The question I have is, do you want a guy like that going into the playoffs who might maybe have one good game throughout the playoffs? No, you have to be perfect through the playoffs. You can't have a guy crap the bed every game except maybe one. 
but he's going to be really, really good in that one. I don't want that. Give me consistently solid guys every day of the week. Next lowest graded is Isaiah McDuffie. He had a 58 grade, 58 run defense, 75 tackling, 64 pass rush, and 59 coverage. He did have his best game of the year against Minnesota, uh, uh, 87 overall grade. He definitely had a better second half of the season. Uh, weeks one through seven was pretty rough, and then it was you know 70, 70, 40, 50, 70, 40, almost a 90 after that. Again, I don't super care about the PFF grades. I like the way he plays. I think we all kind of generally appreciate him. Um, but it seems like he gets dinged a little bit more for run defense than anything else, which also seems kind of crazy, but whatever. Uh, McDuffie is also very consistent in terms of last year, he had a 58.6 grade overall this year, a 58.5 grade. So I think McDuffie just kind of is what he is. And, um, I don't know. I think the Packers like him, so that's fine. We got, we got two guys up front. The the question is, if we move on from Devondre Campbell, are they going to be okay with Isaiah McDuffie or are we in like, we need to find somebody else mode? I don't know. Coming in 26th, we have Corey Ballantyne. Um, he had a 59 grade. It's hard to hard to say he's been more consistent. I mean, he he kind of looks like Stokes 2022 year. He was really good um, his first four games. He had a 60 and then a 70, 71, 72. And then he had a really bad four-game stretch, 40, 50, 40, 40. And then he pulled right back out of that 70 and 60. So, um, Ballantyne being a 2019 sixth round pick, having his best year um, by far. Intriguing might be a little bit strong, but I guess maybe a little bit under the radar potentially. Coming in 25th is Keyshawn Nixon. Cornerbacks not being, or the DBs in general, not being represented super well. He had a 59.8 grade, 53 run defense, 43 tackling, and a 61 coverage grade. Nothing super big to glean here. He's just kind of very sporadic. I mean, it's just he had a couple good games early and then a big patch of nothing, and then he had a good game week nine and then kind of a lull. Good game week 13 and then a really bad three-game stretch. Good week 17 game and then back to be an average against Chicago. So, I mean, I like Keyshawn Nixon. Um, I don't think anybody's under the illusion that he's a premier corner. But again, considering what he is, 2019 undrafted free agent that um, is coming over here from Las Vegas to be a special teamer, ends up being one of the better kick returners in football and is a serviceable slot corner, I'm not mad at it. But should we potentially be looking to upgrade that? Probably. Uh, Coming in 19th is Quay Walker, and I think this one might be the biggest misconception. And again, this is just PFF grades. If you think they're full of crap, that's fine. But I think the, the perception is, He had a really good rookie year. He's had a much improved second year. In reality, he had a pretty bad rookie year, and he's jumped up to mediocre. And it's mostly been kind of meh for Quay Walker all year. Just running through his grades, 90 week one, and then 70. So he had a great start. Then it was 40, 50, 30, 60, 70, 40, 50, 60, 20, 50, 60, 70. So four good games, only two since week three and some real bad games mixed in. He's got a 67 run defense grade, an 83 tackling grade, 60, uh, 61 pass rush grade, and a 55 coverage grade. Um, still room to grow. I think he's talented. I think he's getting better. Um, I mean, he's clearly getting better, but he's got some... some uh, he's got a ways to go 
before he's even a good linebacker, much less a great linebacker. But I'll tell you what, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get through the second half of the defense real quick. And then, um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the plan will be. Cross that bridge when we come to it. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Coming in at 17 is Jonathan Owens. Uh, It's actually a massive improvement for him. As I mentioned numerous times, I think he was the lowest graded safety in football last year. I could have paused it, but I just needed a sip of coffee there. 48 grade jumped up to a 62. That's not anything massively exciting, but... I mean, largely consistent, and if you're okay with being in the 60s, had two good games, two bad games, and that's about it. Um, Otherwise, it's been largely 60s pretty much every single game. I mean, we kind of know what it is with Jonathan Owens. Um, Maybe better than I would have expected to see him performing this way. I would have thought his grade was lower and everything else. But, um, you know, look, we, we need new safeties just across the board. Maybe, again, maybe Jonathan Ford is the guy. But, um, or excuse me, Rudy Ford, I'm looking at Jonathan Owen's name. Uh, maybe Rudy Ford is the guy, but um, we need help at, the, well, just DBs in general. At 16, we've got Devontae Wyatt. You're saying, well, that's not very good for the guy you've been hyping up. That's because his run defense sucks. Uh, 62.3 grade, 46 run defense, 27 tackling grade, but an 80, uh, 80.4 pass rush grade. Um, we'll get into that when we kind of go through the, you're in review part two uh, or phase two, which is 
kind of looking at where these guys stack up. But um, he actually went from a 71 pass rush grade last year, which is really high as it is, to an 80.4 this year. But um, 45 pressures on 305 attempts and seven sacks. He's got like, I think it's a 2.2% sack rate, which is relatively high. In fact, if we just sort by pass rush, he's the highest by a pretty good margin, even over Rashawn Gary. He has an 80.4, Rashawn Gary 76.2. So got to work on the run defense for sure, but Devontae Wyatt is an absolute freaking serial killer of a pass rusher. Uh, 15 is Justin Hollins. We'll scoot over that. Uh, Lucas Van Ness. He is the next highest, which also would probably, I'm guessing, surprise some people. I think a lot of people think he's just basically garbage and would be near the bottom, but he's not. He's middle of the pack. He's got a 64 grade, 63 run defense, 68 tackling, and a 59 pass rush grade, 18 pressures on 180 attempts, which is adequate, as well as five sacks. The... um, the solid thing about this is, and again, we can kind of revisit this on in, in phase B, but it looks like just by eyeballing it, around week 14, he kind of snapped awake, especially as a run defender. Um, this past week against Chicago was bad. He had a 40 run defense grade, not not great. In fact, it was his lowest overall grade of the season because of it. But um, week 14, 15, 16, 17, he really has got just better grades as far as uh, the run defense. Also, as far as the pressures, way better. And that started around week 12. So I had mentioned before, he had five pressures in a sack in week one. <clears throat> he had zero. After that, it was zero, 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 two, zero, zero. So just awful. From weeks two to 11, he had one more game with pressures, and he had two in that game. Since then, he has not had a single game with zero. It's been two, two, one, one, two, two, one. And that's, you know, with limited opportunities. So it's, it's I mean, two and one don't seem like much, but when you're getting seven snaps, uh, seven opportunities to rush the pass rusher, the passer, it's really not that bad. And four of his five sacks came since week 13. So he's got, you know, a sack on just 13 attempts, a sack on nine attempts, a sack on 15 attempts, and in this game, a sack on just five attempts. So I'm sure if we ran the numbers on the pressures and sacks, on the uh, you know second-ish half of the season, he's he's up there as a percentage. And again, the run defense grades have also gone up in that time. So he's he's definitely taken a step starting in around week twelve. Now his snaps haven't necessarily gone up, but there's definitely an uptick statistically. That number thirteen is Kingsley Inigbare. Uh, he has a sixty-four point five grade. He's been much more uh, volatile than Lucas Van Ness, though. Um, He's got a higher grade because he has a 91, a 78, an 85, and then a couple other, or two more 70s mixed in. But he also has much lower lows. He's got a 50 week two, a 45 week four, a 49 week nine, a 40 week 14, a 47 week 17, and a 44 week 18. So, I mean, Kingsley Anigbare has got some really good games, but he's just, he's really, really volatile. He did technically take a step from year one to year two, but it's not a massive one. 61 to 64, his run defense went from a 54 to a 63. Uh, his pass rush went from a 61 to a 65. Coverage went down significantly, but nobody cares. So I kind of think, for me anyways, Kingsley's kind of settling into just being what Kingsley is. Coming in at number 12, TJ Slayton. Big dog on the inside, also very volatile. 
A little bit more consistency, though, but, you know, mostly 60s and then an 80. Then he had a really bad patch from week nine to about week 11. And he's actually finishing quite strong. And I I mean, I do think there's kind of a correlation between when Slayton's playing well, how much better our defense plays. In fact, the last two weeks our defense has been playing well. He had an 84 grade week uh, week 17 and then a 71 this past week. Although I'm just looking at the game before that where he played really well was the Giants. So what do I know? I just know I made that point before, and then I see it again. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I I don't want to say I'm all the way out on on Slayton or anything, but we can do better, and I think we need to do better. It's year three for TJ Slayton. He went from a 52 to a 61 to a 65. That's growth, but it's growth at a snail's pace. He's going to be 40 years old by the time we hit a 70. To make matters worse, the one thing we need him to do is run defense, and that's really not gotten better. I mean, it did from year one to year two. He went from a 44 to a 61.9. This year, exactly a 61.9 again, and that's just not good enough. You know, you're a six foot five, 330-pound guy. We need you to stop the run. And, um, you know, I mean, am I content for a fifth-round pick? Pick 174? Sure. But we need to lock and load with somebody that's a little bit more equipped. At number 11... Devondre Campbell. Um, kind of bad news about Devondre, and I think, you know, we've we've seen the injury kind of play a factor here. We know he ended up getting hurt, and then obviously he just wasn't very happy, but hopefully we get to see old Devondre back. He started off really, really well. 70, basically 70, 70, 80, 80, 70-ish, 76. Kind of rounding, but they're, they're all high 70s. Then, Starting in week 10, it was 50, 40, 40, 50, 40. How do you go straight 70s and 80s to straight 50s and 40s? Well, you would assume an injury and then also just being maybe mad at the world. He, I mean, he legitimately went from one of the best linebackers to one of the worst linebackers. This past week, week 18, when he came back, he was at about a 70. So hoping Devondre's kind of coming back with that Jair energy, right? I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling rejuvenated. I'm feeling motivated, and uh, if we can get top flight Devondre again, like we did in the first portion of the year, and he was battling through injuries before also. I mean, he played weeks one, two, and three. Then he came back weeks eight and nine. I don't know. I don't know what happened to this defense, man. I don't even want to speculate, but I, I hope we're getting that that really good version of Devondre back because that makes a pretty big difference for us. At number 10 is Dallin Levitt. Don't need to super dig into that, but just a 65 grade for uh, for old Dallin Levitt. At 9, you may be surprised to find out, Darnell Savage. We're still in the 60s, but 66.3. He did miss a ton of time, and it is largely on the back of, of some uh, good to big games. He had a 74 game uh, grade week 1, 85 week 13, and then a 70 this past week, week 18. Otherwise, it's been 50s and 60s every week, um, which isn't the worst, but it's it's not uh, it's not as good as the grade necessarily reflects. I mean, if, if, you, if you were to guess like on an average week what you would expect to get, I would probably put it at about a 55, maybe call it a 60. I don't know, but it is what it is, man. It's better than his 47 grade when he bottomed out last year, so I'll take it. All in all, and again, he's only played, what, four, eight, ten-ish games. Um, hasn't given up any touchdowns. He has given up 113 yards, but no games more than, I think, his highest was week one. He gave up 28 yards. So no touchdowns. He's got no interceptions and a pass breakup. So kind of just, a, I guess, all-around non-factor. I mean, the tackling is not good. He's just, he's 
he's not a big help, but he's not a liability. So I guess that's what Savage is right now. Then at eight, we've got Carl Brooks. Again, we've already talked about Carl Brooks. Um, much more volatile. He's got very low lows, and he's got several of them. Um, he's got a 50-week one, a 40-week two, uh, 50-week four, 50-week seven, 40-week eight, 50-week nine, 30-week 13, 50-week 14, 50-week 15. So how does he grade out like this? Well, he has a, an 81-week 11, a 92-week 12, an 80-week 16, and a basically a 90-week 18. So that bumps him up to a 67 overall. So we need way more consistency from Carl Brooks. I mean, he's, he's kind of a Kingsley and Igbare in that way, which, you know, we're talking about similar picks anyways, but that's what we're getting. He's, he's generally a not very good player, but when he's a good player, he's an absolute game wrecker. At number seven is Eric Wilson, and these are all almost identical grades. I mean, it's amazing how similar they are. But Eric Wilson, very consistent. Let's just say he's about a 67 every single week. He hasn't played a ton. Uh, he's mostly a special teamer, but he has come in and filled in a little bit. And he's done. He's done okay. At number six, as I've already mentioned, Jair Alexander, 68.2 grade. He has a 57.7 run defense, 50.9 tackling, but a 70.4 coverage grade. Um, that is still the lowest of his career, but I'm not mad at a 70 coverage grade and a down year slash injured year. But I mean, I mean, he, he really just hasn't even played very much. I mean, he had a good game week one. Then we had a 55 week two, which, you know, is slightly below average. 63 week five, which is average. 55 week eight, which is slightly below average. 75 week nine, 62 week 16, and 75 week 18. So hopefully in the playoffs, he can kind of continue to lock it down and boost these grades up a little bit more so that this isn't his worst season. It's not going to take very much. At number five is Kenny Clark. Um, Kenny Clark continues his uh, descent, although it's slightly higher than last year's grade. It's still just uh, still in the 60s for two years in a row now, which is pretty disappointing stuff. His run defense is a 61. It's the first time it hasn't been negative since 2020. His tackling grade is in the 40s, um, which is what it's been since 2019. He only had one year of his career with a good tackling grade, believe it or not. That was 2017. Uh, his pass rush grade is a 74.4, and uh, he has 61 pressures and nine sacks on 487 attempts. His grade actually is one of his lower grades since, you know, since he kind of peaked as far as pass rush, but his stats, some of his better stats uh, as a pass rusher. So on a on a game-to-game or play-to-play, snap-to-snap consistency basis, it seems like he maybe isn't playing his best ball in the world, but as far as production, it's going quite well for him. Uh, the biggest issue that I have, though, is that it's, again, 68 is not that great to begin with, but it's just been not, I mean, he's he's had one, two, three, four, five good games, and that's it. Week one, uh, and then it was weeks 10, 11, 12, and then this past week, week 18. I'm not going to read through all the all the grades, but it's just, it's let's just say they're all 60s. There was a pile of 50s and 40s uh, early in the season, but let's just say they're all 60s. And it's just, you know, I'm sorry, Kenny. Uh, just that ain't good enough, dude. I mean, a, 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 a typical expectation for Kenny would probably be like a 62 PFF grade. I mean, come on. Anyways, um, getting up, we'll, we'll say our first 70, a 69.9 grade safety Rudy Ford. Um, again, kind of uh, biased because of a couple games, but... 
50, 50, 80, 70, 70, 70, 60, 50, 60, 60, 50, 60. So again, he had a patch of about four games that were good. Otherwise, it's 50s and 60s. Um, 70 overall grade, 61 run defense, 76 tackling, 73 coverage, also biased by two or three games. He's been targeted 22 times. Only nine of those were caught for 88 yards. He gave up one touchdown, has two picks and four pass breakups, 30.1 passer rating when targeted. So, um, I mean, I guess I'll take it. It ain't bad. At three, you've got Preston Smith with a 74 grade, uh, 74 run defense, 65 tackling, 68 pass rush, 55 coverage. Very similar to a lot of other guys. It's mostly been average to bad with a couple good ones mixed in. Uh, Weeks one and two were good. Um, Weeks eight, nine, and 10 were good. And then weeks 16, 17, and 18 were good. Everything else, let's just say it was exactly 60. Which, you know, I mean, we're talking one, two, three, four, five, six, about seven games or so. And two of them were in the 90s, which is fine. I just, I don't know. I, I just wish there was more consistency for these guys. I really do. And that's really the reason that the grades are as low as they are. I mean, 60s and 70s for everybody. Just because they got so many games that are just, eh. And I think that's kind of the biggest difference for these guys is there's just a lack of, lack of consistency. At number two, you'll be happy to hear... Razul Douglas, <laughs> a uh, 75.2 grade is what he had. Again, Razul was kind of biased by, I mean, especially his last four weeks. Since week four, it's been pretty bad with a couple good games mixed in, but 50-91, 50-40 is how he ended here. And then in Buffalo, 60-60, 96-50-60, But still, um, second highest graded player, and then number one is Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary is an 80 PFF grade, 76 run defense, 54 tackling, 76 pass rush. And yeah, since his uh, contract, which I don't know the exact week, but I'm hoping it wasn't week eight, because that's when there's a very clear line of things not going well. He was great weeks one through seven. I mean, pretty much every week. And then after that, it was spotty. 50, 60, 80, 50, 90, 50, 50, 60, 50, 70, 60. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's different the way people are playing him, if he just gave up because of the contract, if it's an injury, if it's a scheme adjustment, if it's a, I don't know. But all in all, he's grading out really well, has a uh, 60 pressures on 384 attempts and 10 sacks. He is two sacks away from his high of 12 in 2021. He had just six last year. But all right, here we go. We got a snapshot of all of our guys, a little bit of a better understanding of what actually has been going on this year as opposed to just our memories, which are massively, massively flawed. But why don't we go ahead and take a break? We'll be back. We'll do some stuff. I I don't care if y'all mad at me or not. I want a quarterback like that. That's what I want. We don't have that. I want a quarterback like Green Bay has. I want a quarterback that can make these throws, pinpoint the damn football. That's what I want. I don't, why, why do we always have to not have that? And if we don't get it, let's keep looking for it. But when we get that, then I think we'll be at a point where we can compete year in and year out on a playoff team. It's, it's been said, oh, a number of years, Green Bay's down years is 500. Our down years, we got the first pick. You know what I mean? Like, this is crazy. Let's go get a damn quarterback. 
Let's go get one that can help us win like they have. I think we're going to have our final segment be just juicy and delicious clips. Let me ask you, how long and how many times did we have to hear? And, and, and please understand, this isn't just this year. This extends through a lot of the era. I mean, this goes back to basically as long as I've been doing this podcast, like 2018. Hearing Bears fans just say, yeah, yeah, just wait until Rodgers is gone, then you're done. Just wait. And then starting in 2020, hearing all the talk about, oh, you're, you're, you're done, Jordan Love is trash, just wait until Rodgers is gone. You're, you're heading to the basement. This guy can't play. The Kansas City game happened, and it's, oh, my goodness. I just saw somebody posted uh, Ross Tucker, another guy that you're supposed to listen to uh, no matter what. Um, he saw the Kansas City game and basically just said, I've seen everything I need to see. The Packers are screwed for the next 20 years. That's, that's all the guy needed to see, apparently. And then all offseason, what happened? We got Chicago Bears fans who are over here talking all this crap about how much better Justin Fields is going to be than Jordan Love, right? He's going to be so much better. And now what? Now where are they at? They're sitting there slumped in their chairs saying, why can't we ever have what they have? Why I want a guy like Jordan Love. Do you know how delicious that is? I mean, there, there could not have been a more poetic ending to this season. If you would ask me, based on the offseason, which was full of bullcrap, what the absolute best possible scenario would be, I would say let's end the season week 18 against the Chicago Bears and have Bears fans and Bears media slumped in their chairs after going 0-2 against the Packers again and 0-10 in the last 10 meetings and have them say sentences that are something to the effect of, I wish we had Jordan Love. There is nothing more satisfying to me than that. And that's where we're at right now. Then we've got... Adam Shine. Jordan Love dominated again. I don't know what the craziest word in that sentence is. Jordan Love dominated or again. Jordan Love, I'm just going to say, and this is coming from me. Jordan Love played like Aaron Rodgers against the team to make the playoffs that Aaron Rodgers, and I'll be the first to tell you, he owns. The Chicago Bears, because I have to check myself on a lot of things, but especially this from yesterday. If Aaron Rodgers played Jordan Love's game yesterday and Aaron Rodgers went 27 of 32 and threw for 316 yards and two touchdowns, they would have to hose me off in the hallway before I came <laughs> to do the radio show today. And I, I have to be honest, right? That because nobody loves Rodgers and fawns over Rodgers and talks about Rodgers in glowing terms as a Packer more than this guy. Nobody. If if Rodgers did what Jordan Love did yesterday, I mean, it would be one of the most epic monologues in the 19-year history of Shine On Sports. Think about what we did, what we said, after Rodgers did what he did against the Dallas Cowboys when he pitched that perfect game, right? Jordan Love deserves credit. Adam Shine went on and, and quote-tweeted this and said, Jordan Love was truly sensational for the fourth time in the second half of the season. I was dead wrong on Love. That was so much fun to watch. Stay for a fun Rodgers line. So happy for Love, LaFleur, and the amazing and passionate Packer fans. And, and listen, 
I am uh, very sorry about the volume. It's doing this stupid thing again. Usually I have to like save it and redo. I'm just, we're almost done. I'm not doing that. So I'll just keep turning it up. <clears throat> when when people do this, I'm 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 fine with it. Now, if if Jordan slips up in the playoffs and he starts going after Jordan, then it's it's you know we're retrying this this situation. But um, I'm 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 perfectly fine with this. To to just flat out say I was dead wrong, and um, he said not only is he happy for Love and Lafleur, but amazing amazing and passionate Packer fans, and you know that that is his response to Packer fans that have been just lighting him up for the last several months about Jordan Love. And his response is, I'm so happy for the passionate Packer fans. I respect that. It's, it's, there's not a lot of people, especially on social media. And, and just because he's a radio guy doesn't mean that he's immune to this. We've seen a lot of public figures have just as thin a skin, if not more thin than, you know, Packer lover, six, two, five, two, four. Um, so to, to take it on the chin and to just power through and say, you know what? I was wrong. You guys were right. Kudos to you guys. I'm happy for you. And, uh, and you know, I'm happy for the very passionate Packers fans. That's how you're going to handle that. I respect that, and I will accept that. And, um, you know, I mean, any other stupid takes, we'll, we'll, we'll play. I'm not, not saying he's immune on the show, but I love it. I love it. It's, you know... If you're gonna, and, and that's the other thing too, it's it's a lot of these guys will just pretend that they didn't have the bad takes, and they'll just keep moving on. He flat out comes out and says, "I said it, and I was dead wrong when I said it." And uh, Jordan Love is the guy, <sighs> dude. Okay, you nailed it, nailed it. And what I love about this is Jordan is playing so well that all at once people are not only just coming out and saying Jordan looks good. It's not just that people who said before he wasn't good are now saying he's good. They're apologizing. We've already done one of these, but let's do another one. I think we did. Um, here's Pat McAfee, who, you know, of course, big Rodgers fan, obviously. He's friends with Rodgers. Uh, not a big fan of Brian Gutekunst. Thinks he's a big, giant idiot. Here is Pat McAfee. The Green Bay Packers. <laughs> in a transition year where we didn't know what to expect, where our defense was more holy than Swiss cheese for a lot of it, mm. they find a way in the end to get a massive win over the Bears. And now Jordan Love has led the Green Bay Packers back to the playoff in his first year as a starter. Ty Schmidt, I saw you go six to midnight. I know you can't stand up right now. You're rock hard. Mm -hmm. How about the Packers getting into the dance? They're not the only ones, obviously. No, obviously not, but I am absolutely ecstatic. This is the best Monday I've had in, in I don't know how, how long. I said going into the game. Yeah. Hey, we on, like that. Man. Unbelievable. Come on, Monday. Have a good Monday. Yeah. Great Monday. Vibes are immaculate. I said going into the game, hey, I was I was a little nervous. Bears were playing great mm -hmm. football going into that game. And even if the Packers were to lose, hey, we found our guy of the future. They did it again. I mean, people can say, hey, they don't love it. Jordan Love is the guy. He is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Biggest game of his career. He goes 27 to 32. Is that good? Pretty good. Over 300 yards, a couple mm -hmm. touchdowns. Pretty Probably good. should have had another one. Um, I just yep. and the defense showed up. Like I've I've worked my way from just being like, hey, we just want to get into the dance to hey, now we punch the ticket. Okay, Who's and you guys have what? You guys have what it takes to go. They, the boys have what it takes. Jordan Love has what it takes. Uh -huh. Joe Barry might even have what it takes. Whoa, Whoa. might even have what it takes. You beat the you beat the Cowboys, and then who knows? All bets are off. I, I'm I'm. I'm in the best mood I've been in for a very, very long time. Well, how could you not be down here in Houston, Texas yeah. at the national championship? Beautiful. ESPN has set us up pretty good here. Uh -huh.
And I like it because, you know, we, we, when we argue with people, a lot of times, and I don't realize this because I don't like watch these shows. I grab the clips occasionally, but there are people who will watch these or they read articles or whatever it is. And there, there's a general kind of group think generally among the media. And so the media disseminates the group think down to the, the, the fans. And then the fans regurgitate the group think. And sometimes that group think is just stupid. And the fact of the matter is, for a long time, the media said Justin Fields is amazing, he's elite, he's wonderful, and Jordan Love is not very good, and the Packers are screwed when Rodgers leaves, and the only thing good about this garbage organization is Aaron Rodgers, the GM sucks, the coach sucks, there's no respect for anybody, and that's all changed now. And it's not to say that there aren't going to be Bears fans who want to argue this and fight this and everything else, but the general consensus understanding of how things are right now is the Green Bay Packers, with their elite GM, have for a third time in a row, which has never been done ever, very rarely do you get two times in a row, now we're getting three times in a row, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but that is the, the, the narrative is what, what I'm referring to here. None of this has to be real. But three in a row, basically Hall of Famers, you know, obviously the, the narrative about the youngest team getting into the playoffs and all that, that carries a massive amount of weight. So Gutekunst finally, for the first time since being in Green Bay, gets the respect he's due. Jordan Love, for the first time, finally gets the respect he's due. The Aaron Rodgers is the whole team narrative takes a big shot in the gut. And I think Aaron Rodgers kind of developing a bad reputation, especially among the media, is, um, is, is sort of helping that because nobody wants to stand on the Aaron Rodgers is your whole team narrative anymore. I mean, I, you know, I'm speaking hyperbolically when I say nobody. Some people are still massive fans of Rodgers. I still really like Rodgers. But, um, you know, for one of the hardest things to battle against is the whole everybody knows thing, right? Well, everybody knows except you, you goot lickers, you, uh, you know, uh, biased Packer fan idiots. And it's like, bro, I'm looking at the data. Like, I I, I don't know what you're, t- you're, you're so dumb. I'm watching the games. I'm what everybody knows. And what they're referring to, sometimes it's what they're referring to is their, you know, little Bears fan bubbles. And, and it's not a very popular belief. But a lot of times it is what most people accept as reality. And so now what do we got? We got everybody now coming around, even, and even Bears fans that want to fight it. Their own media is saying it. You got former Bears football players sitting on couches surrounded by other form, you know, Bears media, Bears players, and Bears coaches saying, why can't we get a guy like Jordan Love? What are you going to do now? You really going to go out there and battle that Jordan Love sucks? Good luck. Good luck. You're choosing to be stupid at that point. But that leads me to my favorite one, and I, 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 I was losing my mind. I almost gave up. We almost just ended the show right here. Um, I couldn't find this clip. I knew I saw the clip. I started to think maybe I didn't. Maybe it was a dream. I looked on Kyle Brandt's page. I looked on Good Morning Football and went to their YouTube channel. There is no clip of this. Well, apparently they didn't clip it and nobody shared it. But Jennifer Curtin on uh, the Twitters at JenKTN recorded her TV and made it a clip. And so we get this little gem. Audio is not the best because of that whole situation with, uh, you know, recording the TV and whatnot. But um, you get the point either way. Here is our good friend, uh, Kyle Brandt, who uh, would also like to uh, apologize. Uh, and last week, I come on the show, I hoot and holler about the Bears and Fields this, and you can do this, you can do that, they can do nothing. 
They showed up with nothing. They didn't score a touchdown. It was flat. It was listless on offense. It was a bitterly disappointing thing for Bears fans. And the number one reason it was so disappointing because of how good the Packers are. We also have to talk about how difficult it must be if you were a Bears fan to not only see the Justin Fields tentpole potentially and likely come down. As that's coming down, you're seeing the Jordan Love skyrocket go into the atmosphere. Jordan Love is good. Jordan Love is great. And you're seeing, well, our quarterback's not working out. And the Packers, those, those guys did it again. I think they did it again. Here's some facts about Jordan Love. As we see him dice the Bears, he's never never lost to the Bears. He said coach has never lost to the Bears. Jordan Love is the first ever, first-year starter as a Green Bay Packer quarterback to make the playoffs. Favre never did it. Rodgers never did it. Love is better than Rodgers was last year. He's better than Rodgers was in his first year starting. In the last eight games, he's had 18 touchdowns and one interception. And that is without Christian Watson, who's his most talented wide receiver. The Jordan Love thing is real. It works. It's ascending to the stratosphere. And if you follow the show closely enough, like, I'm, I'm doing some soul-searching about this, and I'm going to look through this through the playoffs in the offseason, and I have been resoundingly confused and downright uh, offensive about the Jordan Love pick, and I've called it the weirdest draft pick of all time. And I'm going to look into this, and I may need to look out to, to Brian Gutekunst and extend my apologies to him that maybe he had a plan and maybe he did know better. I don't know. I do not say Jordan Love's going to be an All-Pro or, or Super Bowl winner or Hall of Famer. All we can say is what we do right now. It is business as usual for the Green Bay Packers in which they destroy the Bears every single time they play them. Every time the Bears get a glimmer of hope, they stomp on it and twist their foot, and they do it with pick your incredible quarterback that they brought in, and Jordan Love's just the next one. The Packers look great. They could definitely beat Dallas. They're that confident, and their quarterback is that good. I have nothing but respect, admiration, and removing of my hat to Jordan Love and the Packers who deserve all of it. So, so again, I mean, first of that was my favorite apology, um, partially because, again, Kyle Brandt has, for whatever reason, gotten on my nerves recently. Um, but that was, again, fantastic. Like, immediately just like, all right, squashed it, we're good. I got no issues with Kyle Brandt. Still not going to watch Good Morning Football because it's definitely not my version of entertainment, but that was a very, very um, authentic apology. He went so far as to say he's been downright ugly, or whatever his his phrasing was, rude, mean, offensive, I think is what he said uh, in, in his covering of this, and says he needs to, to do some reflection. But here, here's here's the, the only thing I'm going to say aside from apology accepted, and that is, to all of you, this was avoidable. You didn't have to be over here on your knees begging for, for mercy, which I know you're not doing, but I'm going to say that's what you're doing anyways. You didn't have to do it. It was avoidable. And I don't just mean, you know, should never make a prediction or never bet against the Packers or anything like that, but you guys were just wrong. You bet against Jordan Love for stupid reasons. You bet against the Packers for stupid reasons. You bet against Brian Gutekunst for stupid reasons. You bet against Matt LaFleur for stupid reasons. You've all been stupid. You've been running your mouth. You've been listening to everybody else in your little media circle jerk. Everybody just... Just having your little party over there while the Packers are down. You just sit around and start kicking the Packers because it's a fun thing to do and you figure, ah, it'll probably be okay. Nobody thought for a second whether or not any of this was a good idea. And so, yeah, now you have to pay the price a little bit. So do I feel good about being vindicated and basically everything I've said on this matter? Yes, I do. But again, it's not, it's not 
because I'm some super genius. I'm just looking at the information in front of me and you deliberately chose not to and run with just nonsense narratives. And that's and, and you're going to keep being in this position over and over and over again until you stop doing that. But you know what? They're not going to stop doing that because I'm going to tell you something. Next year, you know, Jordan Love is, is all the rage right now. You know what's going to happen in a matter of, what, three months, three and a half months? The Chicago Bears are going to trade Justin Fields. They're going to draft um, Caleb Williams. They might even pair a wide receiver with him. Do you think for one second they're going to be talking about Jordan Love more than Caleb Williams? No way. Immediately, they're going to be talking about... Now, it's still probably going to be, you know, is Caleb Williams and... Um, and Jordan Love going to be like the future of the end? Is this going to be a great battle? Which is which is fine and fair or whatever else. There might be talk about you know is the NFC North become like gone from like worst to best, you know, conference or whatever conference, uh, whatever you call it, division. But what's going to be annoying is immediately because it's Caleb Williams, and because it's Bears fans and it's a, a big media market, and and for whatever reason they get treated with freaking kid gloves. That's going to be catapulted to the top rather than anybody saying we don't know anything about Caleb Williams we don't know if he's going to be a good quarterback we don't know if this wide receiver is going to be a good wide receiver we have no data in the history of the NFL that can back up the the claim that the Bears can produce good quarterbacks that they will we, we have no evidence from this offense that it can produce a competent offense and can build and grow a quarterback all of these things by the way we did have in Green Bay there is a culture whether you like Brian Gutekunst or not, he's he's reading from the same playbook that got the other quarterbacks. There's the sitting and learning thing. There's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers. There was all these reasons to believe in the guy. Caleb Williams, he's going to be thrown immediately into the fire, into the same dog crap organization, dog crap offense, dog crap culture, and it's just immediately he's going to be expected to be great. I'm not saying he's not going to be, but... They're they're going to do it again. They're going to play the same exact games, and some of it's just for clicks. But it's it's just going to cause everybody to believe, and guys like Kyle Brandt will believe. He's he's not on there being contritious because you know it's all a game. He genuinely believed it as a Bears fan, and he is when he says he's confused. He genuinely is because he believed all the nonsense. He believed every word that came out of his mouth. Just like every other Bears fan that believed that Justin Fields was an MVP candidate, and we know for sure we have the guy. That question's been answered. They said that, what, last year? We know for a fact we have the guy. No, you don't. Oh, you're an idiot. You're a, a biased Packer fan. You're an, you're you're the, one of those goot-licking idiot moron Packer fan. You don't know anything. Everybody knows he's going to be great. Everybody knows he's going to he's he's a potential MVP. Everybody knows he can pass except you biased idiot Packer fans and I even had Packer fans come at me. Oh, come on, that's not true. Cuz they're listening to the same media. It's all avoidable and it'll be avoidable next time too. You don't have to jump on the Will Caleb Williams be, you know, the the best rookie quarterback we've seen since uh, you know, Manning or whoever, I don't know. I don't even know if Manning was good as a rookie. But that's all right. We'll keep going round and round and round in this game. The media will continue to jump to uh, very um, wild conclusions because that's what gets all the clicks and whatnot and the views. And I'll be there to say, "Mm, I don't know about that, Chief. And then I'll say, I told you so. And they'll say, sorry about that. And then whatever. We'll just, again, we'll just go round and round. But I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 